Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in the 18th verse. I'm just going to read the 18th and the 19th verse. And the title of this message is Redemption by the Blood. Redemption by the Blood. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, whenever I first got saved, I said praise God for the blood. Or maybe in so many words I did. You know, but 27 years later... Now when I say, praise God for the blood, it's like it has a whole different context. I mean, actually, let me rephrase that. Not different, it's, it's a much greater context. Everything that it meant to me 27 years ago, it means now, but there's so much greater understanding that's behind that statement when I say, thank God for the blood of Jesus. Amen. And you know, Romans 10, 17, really, here's what you need to know about faith, is that anytime the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about faith in the blood. Now, we don't always say that, and because we don't say it enough, maybe we don't realize what we're actually having faith in. You say, well, pastor, I'm having faith in God. Okay, you're having faith in God, but why are you having faith in God? You're having faith in God because of the blood. It's the blood, that the blood is the reason why you can trust God to do anything you ever said he would do. Because the blood is our covenant between God and us. Amen? And he's not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should repent. If he's spoken it, he's going to bring it to pass. If he said it, he's going to make it good. How can I have faith in God that he's going to do what he said? Because he did what he said when he gave the life of his only begotten son for the sins of the world. Hallelujah. So faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17 says. So, so let's say it like this. Faith in the blood comes by hearing the word of God. You see, I really believe that when we connect our faith to the blood, it'll paint a clearer picture for us of what we're believing for. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or you could say it this way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God concerning the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And what that means to you, what that has afforded you. OK, so that tells me this. Really, faith itself is based upon knowledge. Do you know that faith is based upon knowledge? OK, you could know someone very well and you could know that they're very kind and very generous and very helpful. But if they did not make you a promise, you could have somewhat of a hope that they would do what you needed them to do. But if they did not make you that promise, no matter how well you knew their character, if they did not make that promise to you, it would be impossible for you to have faith that they would do it. It would just be impossible. Faith, you cannot muster up faith. Well, I'm trying to believe. What if, what if I said that to Kathy, you know? I love you, honey. Well, I'm trying to believe it, babe. I'm trying real hard. Can you help me believe that you love me? I might get that slap she was talking about earlier. No, I don't. She ain't never slapped. Well, maybe she has, but... <laughs> anyway, um... She did. So she Jack said she should have. I'm, I'm trying to think. We might have been, you know, funning around or something like that. But um, not in the face where everybody can see. That's what she means. <laughs> well, think of how ridiculous we sound to God. 
when he says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And you're just like, I'm, tr I'm trying to believe. I'm trying to believe. That tells God that you are questioning his word. You're questioning his integrity to keep his word. You know what I'm saying? And so when we have our faith in the blood of Jesus, listen, do you think God really wanted to sacrifice Jesus? I mean, he did it because legally he had to to redeem mankind from from sin. But it wasn't like that wasn't his plan A. That was not God's plan. Amen. But here's the thing is, see, God told Adam, the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. That's his word. Do you think he'd want him to die? No, but that was that's the law. Listen, if you break, if you walk in sin, God don't have to kill you. Sin itself will kill you. God didn't uh, uh, do all that to Adam. He just said what would happen if he disobeyed. God's not against you having a good time, y'all. He's against you dying is what he's against. Yeah. And he told Adam, he said, the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Okay. Then later on, hundreds of years later, well, thousands of years, he told, he told Moses and he spoke to the children of Israel through Moses. And he said, uh, the soul that sins shall surely die. And then it's repeated through the Apostle Paul in Romans. And he says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Okay. So all through history of mankind, God is pronouncing his law. It was God was legally obligated to keep his word, though that was not his best. That certainly was not what he wanted to send his only begotten son to die for sins that he didn't even commit. Come on. But here's the way the Lord explained it to me. He said, Joey, if you know that I kept my word when I least wanted to, you know I'll keep it when I want to. And I take pleasure in the prosperity of my servants. So if God will keep his word when he least wants to keep it, you know there's not going to be any problem with him keeping it when it brings him pleasure to keep it. Amen. You see, your faith in God and your faith in that blood of Jesus can increase over the years of faithful service to the Lord and seeing over and over again his, his faithfulness in your life. You ought to grow in your knowledge of the blood of Jesus. First of all, you need to grow in your knowledge of your need for the blood of Jesus. And then you need to grow in your knowledge of what the blood of Jesus has made available to you. And there's no way we're going to get to all of it this morning, but I think maybe we can um, get a good foundation anyways. Um, but faith, I know you're in first Peter, we'll get to that. But faith is based upon knowledge. So if I'm going to have faith in the blood, I've got to have knowledge of the blood. Number one, I got to know my need for the blood. And number two, I got to know what was made available to me through the shed blood of Jesus. Right now, here's another thing is that since faith comes by hearing the word of God, or you could say faith comes by knowledge because that's the purpose of hearing the word is so you can gain knowledge. Then you could say faith comes by knowledge. Okay. Knowledge in God's word will give you faith in God's word. So the level or the degree of your understanding of the blood will determine the level of faith that you can have in the blood. So you can't just muster up faith and just say, I believe. Well, you couldn't believe for something you didn't even know was available to you. Just like the good friend has good character, 
very generous, very kind. You could have, you could feel confident that if you asked, they would let you. But until they gave you your word, you could not have faith that they would do it. So God, with all of his wonderful promises that he's given us in the word, if we don't know he's made those promises to us, it is impossible. Say impossible. impossible. You cannot have faith for something you do not know God is offering. And Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Now, you'd have to know what uh, you were coming for to get it then, wouldn't you? Amen. And so um, as our knowledge of our need for the blood and as our knowledge of what that blood has provided for us increases, then our faith can increase and we can lay hold of the greater blessings that God has for us. And your faith will be less likely for its grip to slip from that promise when contradictory circumstances seem to look opposite to God's word. Like you're believing for one thing, but it looks like you're going the opposite direction. If you've got a revelation of the blood, you'll be less likely to let the grip of your faith slip. Amen. Now then, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter's talking about the blood here. And it says in verse 18, for as much. Look, at that means in the measure, really, for as much. I, I saw that right now. For as much. Say for as much. That means some people might have more than others based on how much they know. Notice it didn't say, I'm just giving everybody the same measure of, of the benefits. It says for as much as you know. <laughs> or let me say it this way, as far as you know. As far as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things. You know you weren't redeemed with corruptible things, but, but how, much, how much do you know about it? You were redeemed from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. But notice Peter bases all this, he starts it off with your knowledge. And he says, for as much as you know. So your knowledge has something to do with this, doesn't it? All right. See, um, Peter says that the blood of Jesus is precious. Amen. Um, the blood is valuable. But it's our understanding of its value that will determine the effectiveness that it can have in our lives. And so that's the reason why we need to speak much on the blood of Jesus. We need to sing much on the blood of Jesus. See, that's one reason why I thank God for the Baptist. I'm so thankful that I was raised uh, a Baptist. Now, I was raised Southern Baptist. I really don't know the difference between Southern and Northern Baptist. I, I have no idea. Do they have a Northern Baptist? I mean, it seems like if you have a Southern, you ought to have a Northern, you know. But uh, you got a First Baptist, you got Calvary Baptist, you, you know, and all this Second Baptist. And what is it? Mexican Baptist. Mexican Baptist. <laughs> Um, I thank God for um, the Baptists, amen, um, because they gave me my foundation on, what did I say? There was two things we needed to have knowledge of concerning the blood. Number one was our need, yeah. our need for the blood, and the Baptists are good at that, amen. Um, get you good and founded, you know, we do that too. That's the reason, I mean, I, I, I learn from a lot of different people, amen, not just from people in my own camp, but I appreciate other people's uh, wisdom, amen. And, and teachings. And so, anyhow, um, 
you know, what we want to do, though, is not only bring a greater knowledge of our need for the blood, but I want to bring a greater knowledge of the benefits that are afforded us because of that shed blood. Amen. Praise God. We don't just have a ticket to heaven. When we die, we get to punch it, you know, to punch the card, you know, and go to heaven, but go through whatever hell you might right now. Now, listen, you're going to go through some hell, even with your big faith self. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But the thing is, is that it's not going to control your life. It's not going to determine your destiny. You're going to come out a victor. You're going to come out more than a conqueror. You're going to come out stronger. You're going to come out with greater stamina. Come on, you're going to come out with greater Christ-like character and integrity. Amen. You're going to come out like what Brother Hagin said. You're going to come out with a crowbar for a backbone instead of a cotton string. He said, that's what trials will do for you. <laughs> Amen. And so it's, it's what we do in the storm, in the test, during the trial and the attitudes that we have throughout those troubles that determine how we're going to come out of them. Amen. Praise God. You know, the Bible even says Jesus I think it's Hebrews 2.10 says Jesus was perfected by the things that he suffered. Now, I've talked to people that say God don't use suffering, but I've never heard them explain that verse to me very well. You know, their spin on it. Jesus was perfected by the things that he suffered. I mean, what are you going to do with that? That's what it says. We're going to believe the word or we're not going to believe the word. And then the Bible says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. How he handled it, you and I need to be handling it. Amen. And then you go over to, to the Gospels, and it says the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now tell me about that one. You know? So here's the thing is, is we've got to understand the difference, and I, I teach it all the time, but we've got to understand the difference between um, the types of suffering that Jesus suffered. He suffered two types of suffering. Number one, Jesus suffered as our substitute. Okay? And number two, he suffered as our example. Now, what he suffered for you and I as our substitute, we do not suffer that. Why? Because he was our substitute. It would kind of be like pointless if you suffered what the substitute suffered because then you wouldn't need the substitute. You done suffered it. Right? All right. So when the Bible says that, that uh, uh, you know, with his stripes we were healed, that means that he took that sickness so you didn't have to. He took that as your substitute. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, when it says that he was rich, but for your sakes and my sake, he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. That's not him as our example. That's him as our substitute. If he was made poor, that means you and I don't have to be made poor. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo, that gets me excited right there. I don't know about you. I take it. It's mine in Jesus' name. I See, what he suffered as our substitute then we can claim the prosperity. If he suffered poverty as our substitute, then we can claim the, the prosperity. If he suffered sickness as our substitute, then we can take health and healing as ours and claim it as ours. Amen? Isaiah says that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. So that means you ought to have never a depressed, down, disturbed day as long as you live. Jesus, your substitute, bore that chastisement, that craziness that tries to go on inside your head. But listen, if you don't know it, you can't take it. But here's people, they're suffering. It's ridiculous because they don't understand the difference between suffering as our example and suffering as our substitute. You got people who are suffering what Christ suffered as the substitute and they're saying, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, he suffered for you. Yeah. Yeah. You don't suffer for him. What do you have that he needed? Yeah. 
He suffered for you. He suffered for me. So in those ways of suffering, we would not have to suffer. So when you got the little, those little uh, cough feeling in your throat, you say, no, I'm devil, I'm not having it in the name of Jesus. You don't wait till it turns into the full on flu. You got to jump on that thing like a chicken on a bug and claim your rights in Christ Jesus. Plead the blood of Jesus. Really pleading the blood of Jesus is what Paul called faith in the blood. See, when I say I plead the blood, what I'm doing with that one statement is I'm releasing everything I know about the blood. Saying I plead the blood is capsulizing your revelation of the blood in one statement. Amen. You know, when the enemy's attacking, you don't have time to go get out your confessions. You know what I'm saying? But what you can do is you could just say, I plead the blood. And right then, everything you've been meditating on for the past year and a half, everything you've been focusing on and believing for and confessing, it comes out in that one statement. Paul called it in Romans 3, faith in the blood. You could just say like this, I have faith in the blood right now. That's what you did when you said, I plead the blood. Amen. So really, pleading the blood is equivalent to what Paul called faith in the blood. It's not any more difficult uh, than that. Yeah. All right. So uh, faith is based upon knowledge. And so that would mean that your knowledge concerning the blood would be determined rather the level of your faith. So in other words, you may know you're redeemed, but what does it mean to you? See, here's some things that the blood has accomplished for us. Uh, number one, we have reconciliation through the blood. That means that God and Mankind are no longer at odds with one another. He is not at odds with man. Because of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ through His shed blood. So we have reconciliation through the blood. Number two, we have cleansing through the blood. And that's not just your sin. That's cleansing your mind from the guilt and shame that that sin produced. Amen? So there is cleansing through the blood. And number three, there's sanctification through the blood. Number four, there's union with God through the blood. Victory over Satan through the blood. And there's life for spirit, soul, and body through the blood. Now, these are all separate blessings, but they are all included in one phrase, which is the title of this message, redemption by the blood. Amen. We have redemption by the blood. So you can understand how that, you know, you could ask one person, do you have redemption by the blood? And they would say yes. And then you could ask another person, do you have redemption by the blood? And they would say yes. But it can mean two entirely different things to each person. One, it could mean more or less than the other person, right? So, so your faith determines what you're able to receive. And you cannot have faith for something you don't know about. Now, I just spent the last 25 minutes getting that point to you because without that, none of this is going to matter. You're just going to leave here, you know, feeling like you went to church and, you know, did your duty, you know. But I want to help you this morning. I know you didn't come just to just to come out of tradition, but I'm saying I, I, I have to tell you that so that you can actually take what I'm teaching you and apply it to your life and expect some results. Amen. So um, we're going to answer a few questions uh, this morning. Number one, what is it that gives the blood of Jesus its power? Number two, what has it accomplished? I say we're going to answer that. We're going to answer it in a measure, okay? It's inexhaustible. I believe we'll be spending eternity realizing what's in that blood. Amen? And number three, how can we experience the effects of this power? So let's look at number one. What is it? 
that gives the blood of Jesus its power. And Leviticus, let's go to Leviticus. You didn't think you could get anything good out of Leviticus, did you? Leviticus 17 verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Notice that first statement there. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, Lord, help me with this, because I'm believing to get through all three of these things today in a decent amount of time. But the life of the flesh is in the blood. I struggled with it. I was like, now, what does that have to do with anything? Like, how, how does, I didn't see the connection. You know what I'm saying? Um, I believed in our redemption through Christ Jesus, but I, I, I'm starting to see and had started, started, begun to see more of the context of why it's important to know that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And, and here's the thing is, is that uh, in, the Garden of, in the Garden of Eden, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, when they transgressed and, and ate, partook, partook of the uh, forbidden fruit that God had uh, told them not to eat of, um, he said, the day you eat it, you're going to die. Now, they, they lived physically for an, another 900 some odd years, you know. Um, now, now, we don't know how long they were in the garden before they ate the fruit. But I have a pretty good idea that it wasn't very long because they didn't have kids. So don't tell me they were in there for no 850 years and didn't have no kids. So I know it wasn't just a long time, right? I mean, that just makes sense, okay? We don't know how long, but we know it wasn't very long, right? Uh, <laughs> moving right along. So, um, so, you know, it wasn't very long. It did not take Adam and Eve to, to disobey God, did it? They went on and lived for a good 800, 900 years before they died physically. So the type of death that God was saying that you're going to die, he was not talking about a mere physical death. You see, physical death is really only a result Okay, but the death that Jesus or rather that the father was talking about to Adam and Eve that they would die was not the, he was not re referencing the mere physical death. He was talking about spiritual death. Amen. Do you remember when Jesus told the disciples when they said, you know, hey, I, one of them said, hey, I got to go bury my father. What did Jesus say? Let the dead bury their dead. Now, he had to have been talking about two types of death because you can't have one dead person burying no other dead person. Right. So really, spiritual death, it simply means uh, separation from God, separation from God. OK. And actually, Billy Graham is the one who coined the phrase spiritual death. Um, and it and simply means to be separated or alienated from the presence of God because of sin, because of transgression. And so um, the real death that Adam experienced that day was the spiritual separation from God. Okay. Um, well, the next thing we know, though, after God found him hiding in the bushes, see, because sin brings shame. It makes you hide. It, it robs you of your confidence. It robs you of your peace. It'll steal your joy when you've got sin in your life that you've not confessed to God. But thank God for 1 John 1, 9. We got something even better than Adam did. He didn't put no animal skin on our back. Amen. He didn't cover us with the blood of no uh, deer or a goat. Come on. 
but we're covered and cleansed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's the reason why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Praise God. Glory to God. But we see that God, he clothed Adam in animal skins. That was the first sacrifice. That was the first sin sacrifice that God made for Adam and Eve. Now, you know, uh, everything that God does is legal. So um, what was it that made the blood of an animal legal to cover man's sin in the Old Testament? I mean, it's a good question. You know, I mean, it wasn't just some little thing God made up to appease his anger. This, there was a literal uh, legality, a law involved that allowed God to treat man as though he had not sinned. But listen, the blood of the bulls, goats, rams, turtle doves, all that, it, it, was, it was not an eternal redemption that it provided. It was only an annual atonement. And the word atonement means to cover. Okay, so the blood of Jesus provided an eternal redemption, Hebrews teaches us. But the blood of an animal could only at best provide an annual covering. Okay, so why is it that God is able to use the blood of an animal? And here's the reason why, is because animals are innocent. Did you know uh, animals were not the perpetrators of uh, uh, iniquity? They were the victims yes. of iniquity. Mankind was the perpetrators. The animals were the victims of mankind's sin. Okay, so the blood of the animal was innocent, was pure. And so here's what God can do. He could, he could, there was no problem with taking the sin of the man and placing it on the animal. But here was the, prom, the problem and the limitation is that God could only take the righteousness of the animal and give that to man. He could only take the innocence from that animal and give it to the man, which we need more than a, a goat righteousness, right? We need more than a, you know, you ain't never met no criminal goat. You might have, well, I take that, maybe a goat. <laughs> I met a few criminal goats. But like, <laughs> anyways, so, they, but <laughs> they can't help themselves, you know what I'm saying? But, but there is no criminal outlaw animals. Amen. But there, I've met a lot of criminal, that's the reason why people just got pets and they ain't got no friends. They're like, I'm done with y'all. I got my cat. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that's healthy. <laughs> Anyhow, the reason why the blood of an animal could be accepted by God to cover the sins of man in the Old Testament was because that animal was innocent. And when that blood was shed on behalf of the sins of man, the innocence and the righteousness of that animal could then be transferred over onto that person or that family. You remember whenever right before God had the children of Israel to Exodus out of Egypt? He said, you take the blood of the lamb uh, on, on a lentil and you take that blood and you put that blood on your doorpost. You remember that? And it says the angel of death will pass over you because of the blood. Well, God was able to pass over the children of Israel because he saw the blood and the curse did not come upon them. The plagues did not come upon them because of the blood of that animal. Now, with the blood of that animal, that's going you're going to have to you're going to have to uh, keep on sacrificing every year to get that done. You know, 
eat that Pascal lamb. But that's the reason why Jesus said, see, the, the Pascal lamb, when he told him, he said, you take this lamb, uh, it's the same lamb they got the blood from, and put on the doorpost. And he said, now you and your family, your household, you're going to eat all of this. And I love it because it says, and don't leave nothing left over. You eat all of it. Say all of it. <clears throat> And what I'm seeing in the body of Christ and in different denominations is they're eating parts of the Lamb of God, but they're, they're leaving the other parts behind. They're, they're taking the eternal security. Come on, but they're not believing Him for their healing. They, they, come on, they're, they're believing God for their peace and their joy, maybe, but they're not taking their prosperity and their financial blessing that God wants them to have that that same sacrifice of that Lamb has provided. So in, in Exodus, the command through, Mo, uh, through Moses was to eat all of it. And then isn't that what he told his disciples? We're going to take communion this morning. But that's what Jesus told his disciples. He said, this is my body. Take ye and eat of it, didn't he? Woo, glory to God. <laughs> Praise God. So that's what we're doing when we're partaking of communion is we're partaking of the benefits that the sacrifice of the Lamb of God has provided for us. Now you can understand how that the greater knowledge and understanding you have of what that sacrifice provided you can benefit you better based on your knowledge. Amen. And when you receive communion, you can by faith release your expectancy for God to do for you what that blood has provided. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So, um, God could accept the blood of an animal because that animal was clean. It was, it was sinless, spotless, okay? Um, but it was a very limited righteousness. It was only the righteousness of an animal. And listen, an animal cannot redeem a man. Okay, when I say man, I'm talking about the, the, the species of mankind, okay? An animal's blood cannot, and, and there was different prices of blood too in the Old Testament. You know, um, for instance, the blood of a pigeon could be accepted as a sacrifice, but the blood of a pigeon didn't have the value of the blood of a bull. And so, based on a person's income, God would accept different values of blood, and He would accept it based on the fact that it was the blood and their faith in that blood's ability to cover their sins to the extent that it could cover it. And he accepted it as a faith offering. Amen. But the blood of an animal cannot cleanse a person from their sin because the value of the blood is not enough to pay the price. Hallelujah. That's the reason why the blood of Jesus was more than enough. Yes. Amen. Not just to listen. It was in Hebrews. We read it was actually Jesus own blood that raised him from the dead. I don't know if you've thought about that before or not, but, you know, it was a long time before I realized. I just thought, well, yeah, Jesus came, died, and, Jesus, and God rose him from the dead, you know. I believe that. Yes, God rose Jesus from the dead, but how did he raise him from the dead? Hebrews 13, verse 20 tells us, it says, now the God of peace. Now, what is it even? We talked about this. Remember when I ministered on peace here maybe about a month or so ago? Whenever, I told you this this morning, whenever the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about faith in what? Faith in the blood. But whenever the Bible talks about the peace of God or the God of peace, it's not talking about he comes down here and gives you nice little feelings and comforting. It's talking about peace with himself. That we have the peace of God. You might have all kinds of turmoil in your life, but you are in a rest because you know God ain't the one mad at you. That's the peace of God. Does that make sense to you? 
Your faith in in your rest has got to be that God and you have been reconciled with one another. No matter what happens, no matter what comes, no matter what storm, that you are at peace with God. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews, we believe to be the Apostle Paul. If it wasn't the Apostle Paul, it was someone directly under his tutelage. I mean, because they had the revelation that only Jesus shared with Paul. So really, it's not an argument. Um, Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. How did he how did he bring him again from the dead? Through the blood. (laughs) God brought Jesus again from the dead through the blood. Whose blood? It was his own blood that provided the power necessary to raise himself from the grave. But his blood, it wasn't powerful just enough to raise him, but it was able to raise us as well. Amen. Jesus was raised from the dead by the life that was in his own blood. Remember Leviticus 17, what was it, verse 11? The life of all flesh is in what? The blood. And Hebrews says it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin, right? Hebrews 10, 4 and 5, it says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Why? Because the blood of those animals are not valuable enough to pay the price for the sin of mankind. Okay, we, we got that covered. And we read in Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So the animal could only give the life that it had, which wasn't what man needed. Mankind was the only creation that God created in his own image and likeness. And you can't get that back with a pigeon blood or a goat blood. Come on. You know what I'm saying? And so Jesus life was in his flesh. Hallelujah. It was in his blood. So he had much more to offer in exchange in that sacrifice. Amen. And the Bible says that Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies, not with the blood of bulls, goats, rams, but with his own blood. So he was carrying the blood that contained his life. That's the reason why he said in John 10, 10, the thief has come to steal. He ain't got nothing to give you compared to what God is wanting you to have. The thief has come for nothing but to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. You think he's pulling it out of his pocket? No, it was in his blood. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We get this idea. He's like, here, I got something for you, you know. No, it was through the shed blood on the cross. Amen. The life of all flesh is in the blood. That's the reason why Jesus said, and the psalmist David prophetically foresaw it, and he wrote it in the Psalms, and then Jesus said it. He said, sacrifices and offerings, uh, burnt offerings, you wouldest not, but a body you have prepared for me. Why? Because in this body is the life of the Son of God that contains the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That gives you life and that more abundantly. Praise God. So you see what you got when you got Jesus. Glory to God. You see, his blood opened his own grave, but it can open yours, too. There was so much life in the blood of Jesus that it accomplished resurrection power for all. There was so much power released in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was actually more power 
released in the resurrection of Jesus Christ than God released when he spoke the worlds into being. It was the greatest demonstration of God's power. The resurrection was the greatest demonstration of the power of God, greater than the power that was released to form all of creation itself. Amen. I mean, one reason I know that is because the Apostle Paul dedicated an entire chapter to uh, encourage us to pray that we would see the surpassing greatness of his power that was released when God raised Jesus from the dead. He didn't say that you would see the surpassing greatness of his power that was released when he spoke light into being. I mean, if that was a greater power, then I won't pray that prayer. Right? If there was a greater power, Paul would have said, pray that. Whoo, come on. But the power that raised Christ from the dead, there was so much power released that it's beyond human comprehension. It surpasses all human understanding. And that's the reason why Paul said, pray that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because some things you could never see with your understanding, with your mind, you, have to, you can get it by revelation and you can just know it. Amen. Praise God. Andrew Murray actually said that this resurrection power, um, its effects surpass all human thought. He said this, it is impossible for us to think too highly or to expect too much from the power of Jesus' blood. Did I give you all number two? Okay, number one was, um, what is it that gives the blood of Jesus its power? And number two, what has that power accomplished? We saw that it was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead and all of us, amen, all of his creation. Pardon me? Yes, amen. And it, and it did. It raised us from the effects of death. That's what Colossians says. He delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So not only did the blood of Jesus redeem us from something, it brought us into something. Okay, so how can we experience the effects of this power? Um, number one, the power of the blood works through faith. I've already covered that at the very start. And we also covered that faith is largely dependent upon knowledge. Okay. Um, Andrew Murray had this to say about knowledge. He said, if knowledge of what the blood has accomplished is imperfect, then your faith expects little and the more powerful effects of the blood are impossible. Feeble concepts of its power prevent the deeper and more perfect manifestations of its effects. As we find out what the scriptures teach about the blood, we will see that faith in the blood can produce greater results in us than we have yet known and in the future, a ceaseless blessing may be ours. Amen. The second thing necessary for the blood to manifest its power is the power of the blood will only be manifested where the Holy Spirit is free to work and free to move. Amen. In 1 John 5, 8, it says there are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. So, um, you know, the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit are inseparable because um, it was through the spirit that God raised Jesus from the dead. Okay. Um, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Amen. And quickens our mortal bodies. So um, Andrew Murray said, he will bring to perfection the hidden powerful effects of the blood. We must allow him to lead us. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, let's go to John 16 verse 15 in the Amplified Bible. The Holy Spirit moves where the blood of Jesus is honored. You know, you can honor the blood by, by uh, meditating on the blood. You can honor the blood by singing about the blood. You can honor the blood by preaching and teaching the blood. Amen. 
just talking about the blood, you, you can bring honor to the blood and it'll bring the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always moves where the blood of Jesus is honored. And where the Holy Spirit is moving, that's where He teaches us, see? Jesus said, everything that the Father has is mine. Everything that the Father has is mine. That is what I meant when I said that He, the Spirit, will take the things that are mine and will reveal, declare, disclose, and transmit it to you. So this is the Holy Spirit's job, is to take the things of Christ. Woo! See, Jesus said, everything that the Father has is mine. So there is nothing that Jesus don't got. <laughs> Amen. There is nothing that he don't have. And then he says this, now the Holy Spirit, and in another place, John 14, Jesus said, it is better off for you that I go away, because if I don't go away, I cannot send you the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is a better teacher to you and for you than I will be. He even said, there's many things I'd like to tell you, but I don't, know how to, I don't know how to get it across to you. But when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will show you all things. What all things is he talking about? All things that the father has given to Jesus. Amen. Now, how do we get an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can talk to us? We got to honor the blood because where the blood of Jesus is honored, the Holy Spirit goes. And where the Holy Spirit goes, that's where he's talking. He don't just show up to say howdy. Amen. He comes to reveal, disclose, and to declare, and to transmit those things that the Father has given to Jesus. Hallelujah. Number three, the third reason knowledge is necessary. Knowledge is necessary for the blood to manifest its power. Knowledge is necessary for the blood to manifest its power. And, uh, you know, we, we have covered that, and we did in 1 Peter 1.18. Peter said, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed. So you, your knowledge has a lot to do with this, right? We've said it other ways this morning, but our experience of the preciousness of the blood will be in proportion, or say, say my experience. Okay, my experience, we're not talking about your understanding makes it more valuable. No, your understanding of its value increases and enhances your experience, right? So our experience of the preciousness of the blood will be in proportion to our knowledge of what redemption is. Hosea 4, 6 uh, says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Okay. Andrew Murray said, accurate knowledge of the preciousness of the blood would be to them or to us the power of a new and holy life. Number four, we need a deeper sense of our need for the blood and a desire to know it better. I basically already talked about that when we first got started this morning we need to understand our need for the blood of Jesus, and we need to understand what that blood has provided for us. And uh, we need to have a desire to know it better. And then your desire needs to become expectation. Once you know what God says, you need to move along from desire because people desire and never obtain. They desire their whole lives and never obtain. They see things in the Word too, but because it hasn't become revelation to them, oh, I know it says with His stripes I was healed. One day He'll heal me. They just said with His stripes they were healed. But then on the other side of their mouth, they say, one day I hope I get it. Well, according to the word, it said you already were. Healing is not something you need to get. It's something Jesus has already got for you. You've got to receive it by faith. That means you've got, to, you've got to get it now before you feel like you got it. Praise God. Let your feelings catch up with you later. Amen. If, it, if it's peace you're needing, let your feelings catch up with you later. But you better take your peace right now. Amen. He's the God of all peace. That means the devil can't hold none of that back from you. Amen. You have been reconciled to God, and that's the only thing you ought to be concerned about. Amen. 
We put our value and we place it on so many other frivolous things. It's insecurity. And the root of insecurity is the lack of revelation that we have been reconciled to God by his blood. Amen. He's not holding anything from us or back from us. Amen. His arms are wide open. We just got to come to him. Praise God. Amen. So our desire has to become expectation. And no sense of unworthiness or ignorance or of helplessness must cause us to doubt. Praise God. 